Apostle John used the gospel account that he provided to reveal to us who Jesus was and the various works that he did in order to try to encourage man to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God, and that believing we might have life in his name. We're going to begin in John chapter 4, and I want to begin by introducing the subject to you by discussing how often Jesus would meet with one person or maybe a small group. In fact, there are some 40 instances recorded in the gospel accounts where Jesus talked to one person or maybe just two or three. Most of his public teaching was found in passages like the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. But the Lord's great teaching, in my judgment, was found when he was one-on-one talking with people who were very interested in the truth. And, you know, if you study the Gospel of John, you find that many of these incidents were where it was only one or two people. I think it's great because it provides us a direction of how to talk with people about the Gospel. Most of us find ourselves in the company of people that we love. We're concerned about their soul. And yet we feel as if somehow we have to go and preach a sermon that says, okay, here's these points that you have to know and you understand. But if you look at the Lord, He is our perfect example in all situations. And He, as He would discuss the truth with people, would often present it in a way that is very simple to understand and yet drew their attention heavenward. I will tell you that one size does not fit all. In fact, if you remember last week as we studied about the Lord's discussion with Nicodemus, the Lord was, what I would say, somewhat stern with Nicodemus. Do you remember when he asked him, he says, Are you a teacher in Israel and you do not know these things? And yet when you come to this woman that we're going to study about today, he was very kind and he was very compassionate with her. John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42 discusses Jesus with the woman at the well in Samaria. And we want to take some time to look at three things. Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the well. It is important because John provided for us the discussion of it. We want to look at the woman and who she was and particularly about her search in life. And then finally, we want to talk about the water that Jesus was going to provide. So if you will, and you have your Bibles, let's open them there to John chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 6. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, 
If you begin to look at this, one of the things you will notice is Jesus is going to Galilee. The main route, if you will, the straightest route was to go through Samaria. That's not the route they often took. In fact, most often they would go through the Jordan River Valley that did not go through Samaria. But the text tells us he needed to go through Samaria. And I know that you can speculate and say, well, why did he need to go through Samaria? Was it because he was in a hurry? Did he need to get there by a certain time? That's certainly a great possibility. Was it the Lord knew that there was an opportunity just waiting to be fulfilled there in Samaria? Very likely. You know, if you read what Jesus will say in John 9 and verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming, which no man can work. The principle is, is that there are only so many opportunities. Many of us find ourselves in the company of someone we've just met. You never get more than one opportunity to make a first impression. Sometimes the people you will meet, you will never meet them again. You have the possibility to do something right then and be very easy to let that opportunity pass. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. There was a need there. Was it urgency? Yes. What was the cause of that urgency? We're not certain. but We know he had an opportunity here. John tells us that this was at Sychar, which is a city of Samaria. Samaria is the geographical area. Sychar is the name of the little town that sat in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. We learn from the Old Testament, from Genesis 33, verse 19, that there was a parcel of land that Jacob bought from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. When you get to Joshua 24, verse 32, we learn that the bones of Joseph were brought up and buried there because this was a piece of land that God had given as an inheritance to the children of Joseph. If you look on a map, you'll notice in the upper right-hand corner is the very bottom of the Sea of Galilee. If you look in the lower right, you'll see what is the upper portion of the Dead Sea. About halfway, you will see in the center of the screen a city called Nablus. That's the name of the city today. If you zoom in a little bit on that, you'll see Nablus, but you'll notice right next to it is Shechem, named after the uh, land there, and then the city of Sychar. You'll see just to the north, Mount Ebal. You'll see just to the south, Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim was where the Samaritans would worship. Jacob's well was there. When you start thinking about wells, I don't know how many of you were like me. I grew up in a home. We had a well on our back porch. You had to go out and drop a bucket in it and roll the old crank on it and be able to, to lift the water there. That's the way many people lived. In Bible times, there were people who needed water because it was a dry, arid land and this area needed a well. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 26 and look at verses 18 and 19, you realize that Isaac dug a well of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. They would dig a well, people would fill them in, and they would dig them out again. 
And it says in verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. That was necessary. It was important. Jesus is making his journey and he is thirsty and so he's going to stop by this well here at Sychar known as Jacob's well. But for just a moment I'd like to tell you about the people that are here. When you think about the people who are living in the land of Samaria, you shouldn't think of them being Samaritans because they live in Samaria, but they're Samaritans because they are a mixed breed of people. In Ezra chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, Ezra explains who these people were and what they wanted to do. If you will notice with me what it says here in verse 2, they came to Zerubbabel, the heads of the fathers' houses, and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Syria, who brought us here. Notice they worshiped God, but they were brought there by someone else, by the king of Assyria. They wanted to be a part of Israel. They wanted to be able to worship God like that. But if you will notice the middle of verse 3, they said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord our God of Israel as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. When you go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 20, these same people want to be involved when the walls are being rebuilt. And Nehemiah is going to respond to them by saying, he says, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You can begin to understand now why these people were somewhat estranged from the Jews. They had been treated as if you're not welcome among us. And yet at the same time, they still worship the God of heaven. That was a real challenge for them. But now let me focus from the well and where it was located to talk about the woman. You can begin with verse 7 and go through verse 29, and it's going to tell us a lot about the woman. Uh, time will not permit us to read every verse, but I want to select some verses out of this section for us to consider. Notice with me as we begin in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You can begin to see now the the tension that exists there. But for just a moment, drop down with me to verse 16. As Jesus focuses more on the woman, he says, Go call your husband to come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now now she's going to change the focus of the discussion. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming which 
neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, how you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now drop down to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now I want to notice three things about this woman. First of all, she is a Samaritan. I've already explained to you who these people were and the kind of antagonism that existed between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews looked at the Samaritans and looked at them and said, they're worthless. They're dogs. They would say perhaps even they don't even have a soul. And yet Jesus speaks to this woman. It's hard for us today to realize the attitude that they had toward them. But the name was used as a byword. You remember in John chapter 8, as Jesus was talking about their trying to kill him, they said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The best illustration that I can give to you is the way that I was reared when I was a young boy. If you wanted to insult somebody, you said, Oh, you're an old Yankee. Today, somebody, if they want to insult us from the south, they say, you're nothing but a redneck. If you wanted to insult a fellow Jew, you would say, you're a Samaritan. As a byword. So when Jesus speaks to her and asks for a drink, you can see now, why is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a Samaritan woman? The second thing that you observe about her is she's a sinner. I mean a real sinner. Jesus tells her to go call her husband. He knows the answer to this question, but she says, I have no husband. He said, you've had five, and the one you now have, you're living with, you're living in sin with, is not your husband. See, the Bible's very plain. The Bible's very clear. Matthew 19, verse 9 He said, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife and except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Romans chapter 7 verse 3. So then if her husband lives while she is married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. This woman was an adulteress. 
because she's living with another man and she's already had five husbands. But she is a searcher. She's looking. In fact, according to verse 25, she's looking for the Messiah. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, he's going to teach us all things. Tell us all things. She had just said, I want to know where we really ought to worship. Is it where our father said this mountain or is it in Jerusalem? She is interested. Now folks, for just a minute, here's a woman that most people would not have given the time of day. Her life is a moral mess. You know, sometimes we encounter people and we look at their lives and we say, I don't know if Solomon could untangle the web that they have woven. I don't know if these people have gotten themselves into such a condition and so we almost want to turn and walk away. Jesus didn't. She says, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Let me tell you something else about this woman. She became a powerful influence for good. You think about what we just read. She left her water pot there in verse 29. She went into the city. She found the men and she says, he told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? Jesus had told her, the one you are looking for, I am he. She said, could this be him? If you'll drop down with me to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Here is a woman who led others to hear about Jesus, to be able to know who he is. That's a powerful woman there. But now let's look at the third part, and that is the water. Look with me now. We're going to back up to a section we skipped, verses 10 through 15 of John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said to her, If you had known or knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus has answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give to him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. 
When I listen to this, I immediately think of the same conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Oh, you remember when Jesus said, you must be born again? In Nicodemus' mind, he's thinking physical. Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, you don't get it. I'm speaking in spiritual terms. Jesus is talking to this woman, and he says, give me a drink. And immediately her mind says, the well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this water that you're going to give me that springs up into everlasting life? But Jesus pointed out the water that he would provide would both satisfy and sustain Satisfy in the sense it would satisfy the thirst of man. Man does thirst for God. You know, the Bible speaks about those in the Sermon on the Mount, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible also would emphasize so many other things about how it satisfies, but it sustains. This is water that you don't have to drink over and over and over again. Because it provides sustaining satisfaction. Jesus will say the same thing a little later when he talks about spiritual food. If you go to John chapter 6, he says, Most assuredly I say to you that Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me, and notice this carefully, will never thirst. You go a little bit further in verses 49 and following. He said, Our fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. The bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that has, which has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Oh, you begin to understand, in each of these occasions where the Lord is meeting with people, he is taking the physical and he is then bringing out the spiritual lesson that they need to see. One more aspect of it, and then we're going to draw some observations. This water is offered freely. You know, you think about our necessity to eat and drink to sustain our lives. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to drink again, you didn't have to eat again, that your body would be sustained, your body would be satisfied, and you'd say, I don't know, I enjoy it. But you have to realize that it, it has a cost to you. This woman was talking about, I, I'd like for you to give me this water so I don't have to come here and draw again. In Revelation 21 and verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. No charge. Revelation 22 verse 1 speaks about the pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God or the throne of the Lamb. 
Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, let him who thirst comes. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. You think about the water that Jesus offered to this woman that springs up to everlasting life. Now for just a few minutes, I'd like to draw a few observations and then we'll bring our lesson to a close. Every soul is precious in the sight of God. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times when people come to the office and they say, can I sit and talk with you just a little bit? And they begin to describe their lives and I'm going to tell you, sometimes I sit there and think, how can a person of this age gotten their life in this big of a mess in this short of a time? And I'm going to be honest with you sometimes. I listen and I say, how can this be untangled? And there is the possibility on our part, whether it's our family, whether it's our friends, whether it's the people we meet or we work with, to write them off and to say, Maybe their soul's not worth it anymore. Do you remember what Jesus said through the prophet Ezekiel? Chapter 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. Not some souls are mine. All souls are mine. I think some of the saddest words are found in Psalm 142, verse 4. Last part of that verse, refuges fail me, for no one cares for my soul. If I could just emphasize one point and drive it home. Jesus looked at the woman at the well whose life was in such a turmoil, and he taught her the truth. We shouldn't write anybody off. Number two. Sometimes those engrossed in sin see their need the best. You know, here we sit or stand on Sunday morning, dressed up in nice clothes, assembled in a very comfortable, nice building. Be very easy for us to look and say that those people out there who are struggling in life, oh, look at me and look at them. And sometimes those of us who are in that position, we fail to see our own sins. But those people whose lives are a mess, they know their lives are a mess. Luke 18, verse 10, Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on the breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen carefully to verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You mean to tell me that God looks at people and wants them to be 
penitent and sorry for their sins. Absolutely. We have to be careful that we don't look past our own lives to look at someone else and to criticize them without dealing with our own difficulties. Number three, I did not spend much time, but there is a right and there is a wrong way to worship God. This woman wanted to know. Should it be here in Mount Gerizim or should it be in Jerusalem? Jesus' answer was clear. You don't know what you're worshiping. We know and salvation is of the Jews. Jerusalem's where they should have worshiped. But the hour is coming and he says it now is. It's almost to there that true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the reason why in Menville, Tennessee, you and I can worship God and we don't have to travel to Jerusalem or some other mountain to worship God. What matters is not the location, but the manner in which a person worships God. And it does matter. Number four, there's only one place to where one can go for living water. You remember Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 6 saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except through me. There's not numerous ways to get to heaven. There's not numerous ways and numerous wells of this living water. Let me give you a great illustration from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two great evils, or two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. The religious world today is much like it was when Jesus confronted this woman. We're going to be Samaritans and we're going to worship here. We're going to be this kind of people and we're going to worship here. There was one well of living water and that well is Jesus Christ. And if you're going to come to the Father, you're going to have to come through Him. From rulers to ruined lives, Jesus provided a saving message. And I want you to know this morning that may be that you look at your life and you can say, you know, I thought all along that I, my life was so messed up that God could not accept me. And I look at my life and I can see all the mistakes that I have made. And let me tell you, God loves and provides freely the same saving message to a sincere seeker today. What's so powerful is this woman ended up leading others to Christ as well. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you're not a Christian, please come forward and confess your faith in Christ because you've repented of your sins and be baptized. If you are a Christian and you've been looking at your life and seeing the sins that are there and you want to correct them, let's pray together. Would you come while we stand and sing?